Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Alex Frazier, who's general manager of Pivot, which is actually a part of Cox Automotive Mobility Group. I first met Alex at Mannheim when we worked together in their online division, and he's just an all-around great human being. He's always had a passion for the automotive industry, but his servant leadership is really what stood out to me. There's never a job too big or too small for him to lead or support. He approaches every day with intelligence, creativity, and a true bias for action. Alex relocated his family twice across the country to help drive new business for Cox Automotive. And he's also one of the biggest Atlanta United fans that I know. So Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. That was a very nice intro. I hope I live up to it. No, nah, man, you already have. So it's all based on past, past performance. So it's all good, man. That is, you and I haven't talked in a while. So this is really, I was looking forward to this conversation for a while. So um, I, uh, like I said, we worked together at Mannheim, um, but I, I left in 2012. So it's been a long time. Lots changed there, but uh, really just want to dig into your background and how you got started and sort of your approach to life. So let's start there, man. Where's you, where are you originally from? Tell me a little bit about your family and school and kind of leading into your first job. Yeah, so I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, um, which is an interesting place to grow up. They, a lot of people call it six square miles surrounded by reality. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a funny place because there's just a, a, a sense in the air there and it's no surprising. It's not surprising that Boulder's kind of become a haven for startups. Um, but, you know, before all that, you know, it just was a place where you kind of just thought anything was possible. And, you know, um, just through a random series of events with really no actual plan, I ended up going to school at Northwood university in Midland, Michigan, um, largely because of some automotive things I found out they had like late in my senior year and I got a bunch of scholarship money and I was able to go there. And, um, you know, my goal had always been to work for a a specific manufacturer of of vehicles and OEM, but, you know, I got the chance to work with them when I worked at Northwood and I realized like my style probably didn't match up with their corporate culture. So I'd be a great customer of theirs, but I wouldn't, I didn't know if I'd necessarily be a great employee. And, you know, funny enough, I, again, didn't really have a plan as I approached the last week of my senior year of college, Yeah, but I'd met my, my now wife, um, and she had a job in Michigan and it was a pretty good job with a good company. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll throw bags at the airport. I'll get my MBA. We'll travel. I don't know what we'll see. And literally just a few days before graduation, I was wearing flip flops and sweatpants and I had not taken a shower. <laughs> and someone from Mannheim came to an eight o'clock class and talked about summer internships. And I did have a resume in my backpack and I had just gotten an award a couple of days prior for our whole like department or the whole group of people in my major. Yeah. I won one of the four or five awards and, um, and that was on there. And it turns out this guy that worked for Mannheim, he only worked for us for a few years. Most of his career had been at one of the Detroit manufacturers. He was friends with the guy that the award was named after like totally random, right? Wow. Like, just dumb luck. And so, you know, my, my first piece of career advice is not that you necessarily need to shower or wear shoes or a suit to an interview, but make sure that your resume has an award named after someone who's interviewing you uh, on it. Like, that's just super simple. Ex- practical. Excellent advice. Yeah, yeah we should all aspire to do that, right? Exactly like I planned it out to be, right? <laughs> but like, but I think the reality is, right, like, the, I, I think the first re- legitimate piece of advice I would say is, this guy was talking about summer internships with Mannheim. And, you know, I had heard about the auction where I went Northwood, a lot of car dealers send their kids. Mm-hmm. And I had heard about the auction. You know, we would talk about it some in our curriculum, but um, a lot of the dealers kids would talk about the auction kind of in this mystical way, like how fun it was and how much they enjoyed going with their parents. And, you know, it just sounded really magical. Right. And yeah. so when this guy was talking about Mannheim, I sort of already had that context that was, you know, layered in over the last few years. And he said, look, we're, lo- we're looking for summer interns. And I said, Hey man, like, I don't actually need an internship. I was going to go work at the summer camp. Um, I already committed to them, but I could yeah. use a job. And he said, yeah. that sounds great. Like call me halfway through. I mean, we had sat down for about an hour, by, you know, and I told him that. And so my first real actual advice is like, 
ask for what you want, right? If it, if it's a place that looks like a good fit and something that you think you could be a good fit at, ask for what you want, right? Cause I, I had interviewed with other OEMs. I interviewed with mega dealer groups that we've all heard of. And, but to me, going to camp was important. It's a really special place. My kids actually go to this camp now. And I want one. Wow. what's that? The same one. The same one. It's this summer was actually supposed to be the hundredth year, but you know, yeah, Corona things happen. Everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but um, uh, that was important to me, and and the fact that he was not only cool with it, but encouraged it, and and kind of, I don't know, just from the jump, like it felt like he valued me for who I was. I yeah. was like, well, shoot, I might as well ask for what I want, and I did. And so I called him halfway through and he said, Hey, do you want to stay in Michigan? Which is where Northwood was. And I said, look, man, I grew up in Colorado. I've been in Michigan for four years, but I had done one internship down in Atlanta of all places, totally random. But I just said, look, I want to be somewhere. They serve sweet tea and say, y'all like you can put me anywhere in that category. And he ended up uh, hooking me up with a business that, you know, Cox actually doesn't even own anymore, but we did for a while down in Nashville, Tennessee, And I moved to Nashville and that's, you know, I had an an official interview with the leadership there and and thankfully they did offer me a job that day of my interview. And I moved down to Nashville two weeks later and that was Labor Day of 2001, which, you know, doesn't feel that long ago to me, but some of the Mm -hmm. people that are probably listening to this weren't born yet. So that's super depressing. Yeah. (laughs) So let's, let's hold off on the the national thing. Let's go actually back to high school because you grew up in Colorado. Uh, You're probably kind of a gearhead like I was really appreciated automotive. So did you know coming out of high school that you wanted to do something in the automotive industry or did it kind of fall in place? Did you meet some people that told you a little bit? Because moving from Colorado to Michigan, that's a big change for, for some people. Yeah, no, I mean, so a couple things like uh, in Boulder is the University of Colorado, right? And so I'd been in and around a big university. And so Northwood's a smaller one. And that was actually appealing to me just because like, I think a, a huge university is really appealing to a lot of people. But like, when you grow up with one, it, it loses some of the sizzle, at least it did for me, there's obviously a ton of people from my hometown that went to see you and loved it. But mm-hmm. for me, like the appeal of, of, you know, a, a smaller pond was appealing, right? And so yeah. the size of Northwood, let alone the curriculum was interesting. Secondly, you know, my dad was actually a huge gearhead. He, you know, uh, he just always loved cars. I mean, way more than I do even. And, and But you so grew up I, around it though. I grew up around yeah. it and, you know, with, uh, and I certainly used to read the car magazines and was super interested in it. And so there was, I was, what's funny about me in the car business is like, as like my best friend built rebuilt with his old man, a 65 Mustang from the ground up. Right. And so like, I watched that happen and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I was always, to me, my connection to the car business has more been kind of the game around it. Like I love the game of the car business. I, you know, and I think a lot of people inside the car business do love the game. And, and while that game doesn't necessarily always yield to a great consumer experience, as we can see by every single research study that's ever been done on the car business, um, right. the people in the business do love it. And for me, like kind of the personalities of the car business, the way it works, the hustle, the reward, the fact that whether you have your MBA like I do, or you never even finished high school, but you can still be really successful in the car business. Like, I love kind of some of the egalitarian nature of it. Like I just really loved the business side of it. And yeah, I liked the cars too. But what's funny is at Northwood, there was like real gearheads that would have cars in their driveway. They're doing brake jobs. They're doing all sorts of stuff. And I actually moved the other way, like where I got way more into the car business, Mm -hmm. but less and less of a gearhead where like, uh, you know, I just stopped reading the car magazines. I stopped kind of paying attention to this new feature, or that new thing, and, yeah. and really became much more of a student of the business than the cars themselves. And that's what I noticed the time that I was there is that there wasn't a lot of what I would consider, like you said, gearheads, you know, that were just, hey, we've rebuilt this transmission or we put new manifolds in or like you said, to build a 65 Mustang from the ground up or dropped a new engine in this or upgraded wheels or, you know, built out stereos, put subs in and custom work and all that. It was more about the business. It was an auction, you know, and all the things that go into, you know, either the physical auction or the online auction. So definitely very different. So that's awesome, man. So you come out of college and then you moved to Nashville 
And how, tell me about that transition in, in terms of your starting point into the automotive world. I mean, you know, when you move to a city that literally you do not know one single person, it is, I mean, to me, it was, I'm just sort of a weird dude, right? Like I was excited by that, right? I think for a lot of people, that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there's a whole lot of people that don't want to move away from their family, right? But I think one thing I got from my parents is both of my parents grew up in Chicago, right? Um, My mom grew up in the city her whole life. My dad, his family had started in the city and then they moved out to what was the country. And now it's just one of the suburbs. But, you know, they had moved away from their family and friends, right? They had moved to Colorado, which was a big deal, right? And so, well, I mean, while I loved obviously my parents and my brother and sister, like we had always been separated from our extended family. And so the idea for me of kind of going alone and going and doing my thing wasn't completely like foreign or weird, right? Whereas I think a lot of folks who they're near their grandparents or near all their aunts and uncles, the idea of moving two, 3000 miles away, there, there's a foundational like uh, disturbance there. And, and I'm yeah. super empathetic to that. And trust me, my wife and I have had a bunch of kids. And as we moved around the country, like we certainly would have loved more fam- family support, but we've also enjoyed our journey. So anyways, we get to Nashville or I get to Nashville. Natalie did not, she moved about a year later, but um, you know, it was, it was weird. It was hard. You know, I, I had an apartment for the first time. I, I bounced my checking account for the first time <laughs> because I bought a DVD player at Sam's club and I, you know, and rent was due at the same time. And you know what? Like I, I wasn't that good at balancing my checkbook, which like all these adult lessons to learn, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, for real. Right. And like, you know, you, you kind of would keep your dorm room clean or keep your place clean in college. But then now it's like, well, dude, this is my apartment. I'm the only one that lives here. Like if somebody's going to do the dishes, it's me, right? If somebody's going to clean the toilet, it's me, right? If somebody's going to vacuum. And so there is a big transition of just kind of that adulthood and like, and there's these funny moments in it too. I mean, I'll never forget a guy I worked with early in Nashville and I still am friends with him. He still works for Mannheim. You know, he got a new car, right? And it was some Audi uh, A4 or something, but it was cool, right? And it certainly wasn't anything I could afford, but I just remember like him getting it. And like, you know, when you're a kid, you look at adults' cars and you think, oh man, that'd be so cool to drive mm-hmm. one, one day, or maybe I could even, you know, have one. Yeah. And he got it and he was telling me all about it. And I was like, all right, dude, well, I got to run to the bank right quick. And he's like, well, here, take my car. Then you can drive it. <laughs> and I was like, wait, for real? And he's like, yeah, what do I care? And like, he's like, go check it out, you know, tear it up. Like, don't crash it, but have fun with it. Yeah. And that was a very like adult moment for me that this uh, uh, other adult, like I was 22 years old, but he was an adult. He had kids, you know, he had a house, the whole deal. He was just trusting me and yeah. he just treated me like an equal and like an adult. And he said, go have fun. And like, I don't know if he knew in that moment that that was a big deal for me, but it was, but that same guy taught me another lesson. Like a couple years later, we, we had gotten married and we had a dog and a colleague had watched our dog for us when we went out of town. And I was just like, Oh, thanks man. And he's like, Hey dude, you should probably like give him 50 bucks since like you saved 200 by not using the dog sitter. And I was like, Oh yeah, good call. But like, again, like, some of this stuff you learn from your parents, but your parents can't teach you everything. You won't learn everything from your friends. And there's just some of these adult things that happen. Mentorship, and, right? I mean, yeah, it's important. It, yeah. Mentorship, friendship, and just sort of like practical life advice that like when you're coming out of high school, when you're in college and run, you're right out of college, like, man, there's just not enough of it. And I think some of it is so simple and practical that now like, yeah, I know if somebody does something like you want to be gracious and, and thank them. And that doesn't always mean you give them money, but certainly show gratitude in the appropriate way. And, I, you know, that was a that was a lesson for me. And, you know, I was thankful that I worked in a place at, at early in my career that was very, very familial and very community. Like it was it was sort of this one office that they had come to Mannheim via an acquisition, but that all sort of created this really tight bond among a lot of the employees. And so coming into it, I just sort of got adopted into that. And it was really lovely for me because I I just got that kind of love and advice that I don't know if I'm assuming a lot of people don't get it, but for me, it created a really early kind of bond to Mannheim and Cox enterprises that, Mm -hmm. you know, 19 years later, obviously I'm still pretty committed to. 
Yeah, no, that's great, man. That's a great story. Did you, were there things that you did to kind of network in a new, new city, not knowing the soul that kind of helps you kind of put some roots down to kind of feel like you've got at least a support system? You know, that's funny. Um, so I, one day I was turning on the TV and, um, I, I saw like a local church like was broadcasting, which, you know, I didn't normally spend a ton of time watching. What's funny though, is a guy who was singing at that church had been at a, a singer at a retreat I'd gone to through something with my youth group as a kid back in Colorado, like totally random, right? I didn't even know he lived in Nashville, but I immediately recognized him. And, you know, that was pretty early. So like I went to that church and even just that felt like, a little bit of a community, even though I, it's not like I knew this guy really, but like, you know, I went and found him after church and he was kind and, and welcoming. And, you know, I ended up getting plugged into a couple other community things just that were important to me. Like I'd been a young life leader in college and then I became a young life leader in Nashville. And that introduced me to a bunch of people who were either still in college or were a lot like me and just had finished college. And then, you know, I mean, both of those things were super healthy for me just in the sense that it found me people quickly who mm -hmm. were in a similar age group, but weren't necessarily from work. Um, and that was nice because I like, obviously I love where I work. I've worked here almost 20 years, but also having friends outside of work, I've always found is like super important. And, you know, the last thing was I played lacrosse in college and I got connected with the lacrosse community in Nashville. And so that too, like, you know, there was a summer league that I would play in and, you know, I coached a high school team for a couple of years and, and all of those things, like they were just things that I put into my life that were, weren't just fun for me, but they were, they were things to sink my energy into other than work. Because I think, especially when you're really young, like in the way that, I mean, probably even more so now than when you and I started our careers, Paul, it's like, there is a very strong feeling that can exist of almost overexertion, like how much you need to put into your work and you yeah. got to get ahead and all this stuff. And I don't necessarily disagree that like you want to put your best foot forward and all that, all that is accurate. But for me, what ended up being allowing me to bring some of my best self to work every day was having things outside of work that were filling up my cup outside of work. And so, you know, between lacrosse and your life and then just building, making some other friends in town, you know, that's, that sort of was how Nashville started for us, you know? That's great, man. It's a great story. And I think it's, that's uh, certainly wise of you to kind of, you know, balance yourself out a little bit, not just be engrossed into, you know, one thing. When I first graduated college, I started work at Delta and it was obviously a big company, but, you know, and you kind of connect with people who are typically your age, a lot of younger people. And that sort of becomes not only your, your work circle, but your social circle. And you tend to, you dive into work and, you know, your weekends are spent with the same people um, that your weekdays are. And so getting a little bit of perspective sometimes is, is really a good thing just for a, a mental break, um, but also just to kind of some of that diversity and in, in hearing outside thoughts as well. Like, of my company, you know, we do this. Oh, that's a great idea. We should implement that here, you know. So those are always really good things to do. So yeah. so how long were you in Nashville? Uh exactly six years. We I moved down Labor Day of two thousand one and we left for Atlanta in on Labor Day weekend of two thousand seven. Wow. Yeah. Uh, pretty weird that's, how that worked. Yeah. That's um, funny. So coming weird. to Atlanta, did you know many people here or was it sort of like starting over again? No, you know, I mean, again, like, because at this point, I've been um, at Mannheim for six years, and I've been coming to Atlanta for a year. Okay, or two. yeah. Um, we had some friends here. Uh, again, a lot of these ones were from work. Um, it sounds like we might get to meet one of my newer friends, our three-year-old. She's your, new, your newest coworker, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's a frequent guest on all my meetings. Um, but... Uh, so I had some friends from work, but again, uh, some of them I worked closely with. Some of them I didn't even like work a lot with, but they were people I that were at my work. And so those again were real blessings because like, kind of like you said, I mean, if you work closely with these people and then you spend a lot of time with the same people, like, man, that can be a lot. Right. But like, yeah. inevitably there will be people that you meet at work. That's like, Oh, that guy's kind of cool. Like I should hang out with him. And so, yeah. you know, what ended up happening for us is, 
um, there was a guy not too long after we moved down to Atlanta um, who came through uh, OVE where you and I were working on a rotation program and him and I just randomly ended up at lunch with two other people one day. So there's four of us just went out to a bike to eat and he's like, Oh, where do you live? And I told him what part of Atlanta I lived in. And he's like, Oh, I live the next neighborhood over. He's like, we should ride home together. Um, like if you ever want to ride, cause then I can use a carpool lane. Well, I mean, you know, 15 years later, that guy is one of my best friends on earth. Yeah. When we moved back to Atlanta, we intentionally moved about 10 minutes away from where him and his wife live and that was a perfect example of at the time, like him and I weren't really working on much together, but we just started riding together, honestly, because then I didn't have to take the train if I was running late and then mm-hmm. use the carpooling, but we just became really tight friends and like, yeah, we've, we've worked closely on a thing or two here or there, but I don't know if we've ever actually been in the same department since that first, you know, first six, eight months when he was on that rotation um and we'll talk about work but it, you know he's he more of a friend than he is a colleague and and you know that you know you meet other people and and so um yeah i mean but atlanta it also was different for natalie and i when we moved here because we knew that you know cox was headquartered here and that if i was gonna you know stay with them this would be kind of home and so i think mm-hmm. we invested in trying to find friends and trying to find community that would be lasting because we wanted to approach it in that way. Right. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and you're right. I've got friends like that at Delta that I met in the late eighties and, you know, still I'm connected to them today. And, you know, we've, we've shared a lot over the years and, you know, as you grow, you get married, you have kids, you know, your priorities shift a little bit personally and you may change roles or, or even have to relocate. And so, you know, those friends that you meet along the way are really, really critical to kind of, you know, not only just, have some, some connection to, you know, your, your past experiences, but also they know you pretty well. They can kind of give you a little bit of whether it's accountability or, you know, some advice or just, you know, um, bounce some ideas off. And it's not, um, it's not just trying to pitch somebody new, you know, those are always really good people to lean on. That's right. So you, um, so you and I met in the online division and I, I'm trying to remember, I was like 2010, 2009, something like that. Um, but, uh, I know that after I left, you had actually gone from corporate and the online division um, back to um, the auction locations. So tell me a little bit about how that, that change happened, what you were thinking, um, just trying something new or kind of walk me through that process. Yeah, you know, what's funny is I was working, um, doing a lot of kind of digital strategy and like sales operations stuff where we were helping clients who had sold a lot of cars in lane for years and years and years. And they were trying to figure out how to sell cars on the internet. Right. And, um, and so uh, I was on a team with a bunch of other great people um, who that's what we helped them do. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and it was really cool because it was a new space. And so we had a lot of freedom. There was a lot of creativity um, which suit, suited me at the time. And I, again, I worked with people that really brought the best out of me and I enjoyed working with. And honestly, I, I had some great clients. And so that was really cool. And, and one of the, you know, in a, you know, if, if you're listening and you're in your early career, have your ears perk up here. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things this role inadvertently created was a lot of, uh, you know, shared meetings with some of the executives at the time. Right. And it was a total accident. Like none of us joined this team thinking, Oh, we're going to be rubbing elbows with all the big bosses. But what ended up happening is once we had a few clients who had success, um, all of the other clients started to hear about it, which was, you know, affirming to the work we were doing. And so then, you know, there'd be a regular cadence of meetings with the big clients and the big bosses of these clients. And they'd say, well, I want to make sure we cover this digital stuff, but I also want the FaceTime with the executives. So just kind of by happenstance, we would be in these meetings with executives and we would have some speaking opportunities to talk about our stuff, not, you know, and, and really we were there to talk to the client. And what ended up happening is, you know, we like all of us did a really good job and all the folks who were on that team initially, all of us have gotten, you know, differing levels of promotion since then because of the great work that we were all able to do as teammates. And, 
And what they had pitched to me was, hey, look, like, you know how to talk to a customer and you kind of know the digital business, but like, you know, that would pair really well if you went and learned our, our actual business, right? And so here it was 2012 and I'd worked for Mannheim for 11 years and, you know, was at this point doing so a lot of high level meetings with clients and felt like I knew what I was talking about. And they dropped me in at Mannheim Statesville in North Carolina, which is about an hour north of Charlotte. And man, by about two hours into day one, I realized I didn't know anything, right? And all the stuff I thought I knew was was just scratching the surface of the core business. And so um, I'm so thankful that the opportunity presented itself to go to the field. And, um, you know, I, I had the the opportunity to go work for actually the guy who was the general manager at Statesville when I was the AGM, he is now the general manager at Mannheim auto auction, the biggest auto auction there is. And so he's obviously, he knows his stuff. Right. And so um, I got to learn a ton from him and living in North Carolina was actually a lot of fun. Statesville is a very rural community. So it's very different than the city living that we were doing in Atlanta when we lived right in the city and loved all that we had a blast in North Carolina out in the country. Right. And it was very, very different, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, our kids had fun and, you know, it was, we were only there for about two and a half years and it was certainly drinking from the fire hose, but you quickly realize that like when you're in the ivory tower at corporate and you talk about customers, you talk about the way things should be. And then you're on the ground in the field, you know, for me, it was at an auto auction or if you work for Home Depot and you go to a store or anything, right? Like yeah. it's just way different on the ground than it is, uh, you know, yeah. and you, you, it's, it's hard to learn that unless you live it. And, yeah. you know, most folks go the opposite way that I did. Like they come from the field and come to corporate, but there's been a handful of us, probably six or eight over the last few years that have left corporate and gone to the field. And, and it is eye-opening and it is, um, it, but it's really cool, right? Because the, the cool opportunity it has is you, is you get to call the people back at corporate and say, hey, man, I know we thought we knew what we were talking about on this one thing. We didn't know what we were talking about. And so, you know, that was another huge lesson of just, um, I, we often think that we're right, right? For yeah. a lot of them, right? Like, yeah. yeah just naturally we think we're right and oh i've had this experience six or seven times so now it's informed my belief that i'm right and then you completely change your paradigm or your perspective and you realize man i am right but i'm only right at about 10 percent. and then there's this other 90 percent that i have no idea what i'm talking about so and- t- tell me about that because you know you said a couple hours into your first day you realized you there was so much more that you didn't know or didn't understand so going into a new situation yeah. like that how do you how do you start to break down those parts um whether it's networking whether it's learning from experts in the field is it just you know putting the the reps in to be able to get some you know some sequence in in your mind that you know that you can kind of figure things out then or how's that work i think it's all that and, you know you you've had the opportunity you've worked a couple different places but you know everyone doesn't work the same right yeah. like so uh, the team I had been on, you know, you'd scheduled meetings, you had conference calls, you sent emails, it was all by calendar, blah, blah, blah. Man, at the auction, it's like, hey, can we talk for a second? And boom, you are now in a meeting, right? Like the meeting just got scheduled and it's starting right now. I hope you're ready for it, right? And that could be with a customer, that could be with a, a colleague, right? And it could be about something positive or it could be about you know, some conflict that needs to be resolved right now, right? And so, again, in, in, a, in a more corporate environment, oh, how are we going to solve this? Talk to this person, talk to this person, let's get buy-in. You know, in the field, it's like, we need to make a decision right now, you know? And I mean, as silly as it sounds, like one of early, early days, like a, a customer walked by a car dealer and he's like, hey, man, you got a leak in the bathroom, right? And I mean, part of me was like, oh, I need to pick up the phone and call the maintenance guy. But I was like, you know, if he's telling me I should walk in there, well, you know, 45 minutes later, when I'm myself and the general manager are wrapping up, squeegeeing out the bathroom, you know, you realize like sometimes you pick up the phone and sometimes you grab the squeegee yourself and you deal with the leaky urinal, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think just unless you put yourself in different environmental situations and different kind of 
career type situations where the job is just so wildly different. And I'm lucky that I work at a big place where I've, I've been able to have a lot of different types of jobs, but always, you know, stay at the same place. Like that's not everyone's experience. And, and so that is, I think, part of the appeal for a lot of folks to do a lot of the job hopping, which I think older generations can look down on some of the younger folks that do that. But look, the reality is they're trying to to build out their quiver with a lot of different experience. And I, so I don't, I don't look down on that at all. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think that takes courage. I think it takes strength to do that. And, you know, uh, and I've just had the opportunity to do it all at the same place, but, you know, I, I think one, the way we work, like I was saying, and just how we work, and then I, and I think the other thing is just um, the people you work with, right? Like if everyone you work with went to college, has an MBA, has a relatively new car and they own their home, you know, that's going to be a, a very um, one style of colleague, right? And there's nothing bad about that, but that's not, that's not necessarily representative of all the folks that we work with across our company. And it's not representative of all our customers either. Right. Right. And, and so for me getting into an environment that we had more staff level positions, we had people who have worked here for the same location in, in not too different of a job for 20 years, like making real connections with those team members and, and people who I'm still friends with and still talk to, um, but their viewpoint is so much different than mine. And I, I loved that, right? Because they did think about things differently. They did, like, they had so much more experience at the auction than I ever could, right? Because they'd been there. When I went off to college, they started the auction at 17, right? So yeah. even if I joined the first day out of college, they're already six years, you know, after my MBA, they're six, seven years more experienced than I am, right? And yeah. I loved that experience and I longed to learn from them. And I, I still, you know, um, call back to a lot of folks at the, the auctions I've worked at because, look, they know things I don't know. And I think it's so easy in today's world. I think we're really good at bucketing people that we think are, you know, at, above or beneath us. And for me, the reality of going to the auction is it, it kills a lot of that in a quick hurry because it's like, yeah, you might know what you know, but these folks know twice as what twice as much as what you know about other stuff. Yeah. So it was exceptionally humbling and I'm thankful for it. Right. Because a lot of people don't get that opportunity and I did. And um, it really opened my eyes and and I'm super thankful for it. Yeah. And you probably dealt with a little bit of biasness too. I know when I was at Delta, it was a similar thing where you had headquarters, very corporate environment. And then you had the field, whether they were the airports or the reservation centers and the people out in the field, you know, knew there was a disconnect with headquarters that either people that didn't didn't put their time in to understand the actual nuts and bolts of the business just didn't have an, a sense for it and so when you go out to the field and you talk to them they would kind of you know they'd have to they'd have to adjust their conversations to you because there was that i know you don't know what we do here so let me explain this to you and so getting dropped in that environment for a couple of years i'm sure you had to kind of work your way out of that. Some of the other folks I've talked to, same situation, you know, and sometimes you get into imposter syndrome where you, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm managing you, but yet you know so much more about this business. So let's figure out how we can work together to solve. At the end, we're all here for the customers, right? So let's figure out a solution. You know, whether it's somebody on sale day, it's got some issue with payment or, you know, you got a toilet that's backed up and people can't, you know, hang out at the auction for three, three or four hours, you know, so there's, there's a lot that goes into that. So, um, I'm just, yeah. It's absolutely true. Everything you said. And yeah. you know, I think that was for me, a, a huge piece of it is like, you know, I was a corporate guy that showed up. Right. And, and so for me, I, I felt like I really had to work hard to prove myself that I would, I would do what I needed to do to be the right kind of leader um, at the auction, even if I had come from corporate. Right. And, yeah. and that was really important to me because like, you know, my, my thoughts on leadership is, you know, I, I generally don't say like, you know, any, anything my team will do, I'll, I'll have to do. Cause honestly, like a lot of them are a lot better at their job than I am. So like, they don't want me to do what they're doing. Like, it's not good for anybody. Right. <laughs> Alex, like, in the best interest of everybody, just step back and let me handle yeah, this walk one. away. Right. But like, <laughs> but I mean, you know, uh, but I will always jump in. Right. And so like, 
fast forward, you know, we leave North Carolina, we go to Portland, Oregon, as you might be aware, it rains a little in Portland. So I hear. Yeah. And we, we kept having this one drain issue and, you know, the maintenance guy couldn't figure it out. And some of the other guys that were handy couldn't figure it out. And we were trying to like drive our tractor through it with the blade down to kind of, we thought there might be an air bubble that was jamming it up. And, you know, just working with those guys, like I put all my rain gear on, I walked out in there just with them. Like I'm reaching my elbow down, like my arm down to my shoulder, like to figure it out. And we, as a team, we figured out there ended up being this filter in the drain that was clogging the pipe that would flow out. So we just pulled the filter out. We cleaned the filter, we put it back in and the drain worked great. And we didn't have a clog again, the rest of the four years I was there. Right. But like, but oh, by the way, my boss was coming in that day with our regional HR lady. And here I am in like, no joke, a foot of water that's uh, 20 feet wide, reaching down to my shoulder. Now I had a full rain suit on, but like I had to change like, and I'm changing in my office, like quickly, like yeah. three minutes before my boss walks in, she looks at me like I just walked through a car wash, right? Because my face <laughs> and hair are all wet. Cause it was still raining. Right. And yeah, like uh, everything. Okay. I was like, Oh yeah, I was just out fixing the drain. Right. Like with these other guys. And, it, but to me, like, look, that was a team, that was a teamwork thing. We needed to get it done. It was, it was creating an unsafe and, and unproductive work environment to have a 20 foot lake in the middle of the, right in front of the sale building. Right. So yeah, it had to go away. Right. Well, um, you know, Alex, that's, I've not heard that story before but it doesn't surprise me at all. And, you know, when I mentioned in the intro about your servant leadership, I saw that in, in you know, the, the couple of years that we did work together. And so that is, that is totally an embodiment of you, your character and your leadership style. And I think that says a lot for the team there that says, you know what, no one's, you know, Alex isn't above us and is not going to delegate this because it's just, you know, something that's not really pleasant. And I think even to your, you know, the leadership that was coming in, they probably, probably looked at you differently and said, you know what, here's somebody that's willing to do whatever it takes, when it takes, when something comes up to get something done. Well, I mean, look, I'm really lucky. And well, thank you, first of all, for saying that, but I'm lucky. Like I, I've worked for a lot of great people. You obviously worked at Cox for a while, Paul, and, and you mm-hmm. know kind of who the family is and who a lot of our leaders are. And, you know, even my boss right now is is just one of the most remarkable leaders I've ever worked with. And even just this week, you know, he, he got our, our entire kind of leadership team on the phone. I was probably 15, 16 people on the phone. And he said, look, I feel like I've been getting this thing wrong my whole life. Right. And just, it was not entirely about work. It's a, it certainly has some work components that he was talking about, but just, you know, he, he'd been through some recent training that Cox did for its most senior leaders. He'd read a really compelling book and, he realized like there's some gaps in how he sees the world. And instead of kind of resisting against that or saying, I think that's stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. He embraced it. And not only does he embrace it, not only does he say like, I need to get better, but he creates the accountability that he brings the entire leadership team together and says, this is something I'm not good enough at. I don't think any of us are good enough at it. We all better and so he invites that accountability on his own like to you know from everybody and like and so having examples like that i think for me it's been really helpful because look when you grow in leadership roles it is fun right like i mean look i haven't bounced my checkbook in a while right (laughs) like thank god right like i mean you know and i i we my wife and i can go on like cool vacations and stuff and i mean those are blessings that come out of this and and make no mistake, it's a huge blessing. But for me, you know, I, I think sometimes what happens with folks is that can go to your head. And and the beautiful thing about Cox is there's so many leaders that show you not only why you shouldn't do that, but like the value of of like doing it differently, right? And yeah, value of being a servant leader, the value of of putting the team before yourself, the value of assuming that you've got more to learn always basically. Uh, and, and look, I mean, that's, that is not necessarily a natural leadership characteristic for a lot of us. And some of us may have more of a bend towards it than others, but I think it's certainly a learned behavior and it's, and the folks that are good at it, folks that I've learned a ton from, they practice, right. And they practice all the time, just like my boss did this week when, I mean, that was practicing, right. He put himself in a very vulnerable situation and he just owned it. And 
to me, it's that kind of example that is like, uh, it's almost becomes obligation. Like these are the people that have invested in me and this is how they do it. I need to honor that. I need to be a good steward of the, the, the leadership they've given me and I need to pass that on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cause you know what the impact was to you to kind of see that with your management. And you, then you realize, okay, if I, if I can embody that same sort of characteristics behavior and, you know, kind of looking at, things in and trying to get better and improve, you know, and just kind of thinking back to that agile mindset about retrospectives and, you know, figuring out how we can get better. Um, then you know that your team should respond in the same way that you responded to seeing, you know, your, your manager doing the same thing. So it's, it's well, all connected. Think, yeah. When you're in that mindset too, like it makes it a lot easier to not let any of this stuff go to your head. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, because I, I, I just like, I think when you really truly recognize how incredible the team is that's around you and all the good work they do, when somebody tries to give you credit, like it's not like fake demurring when you're like, no, 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 it's the team. Like you actually mean it because you do, because you've been in it with them, because you recognize their value, their skills, you genuinely do recognize the team, uh, those as team accomplishments, you, you see the value in, in, in how everyone brought their, their part to that success. And, and I think as a team, as a leader of a team, when they see you recognizing that, um, even if you're the one that's given the award or whatever, right? Like they know that when you say that this is a team award, they know you mean it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And those are the people that you're going to line up to go to work with the very next day. So, I mean, good for you, your, your place of business or whatever won an award, like you got to show up the very next day and continue to lead folks. And like, if they think you're full of smoke, like that's going to be proved out really quickly. Right. And, yeah. but if they know that you're genuine, if they know that your heart's in it, if they know that you care about them as people, like, and look, I haven't always gotten it right. Right. Like, and I still don't always get it right, but I think, that's again, where you need really honest and, and thoughtful people in your life who, when you screw up, they're going to say, dude, you could have done better. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, sure. I mean, I'm again, I'm thankful for that. And I mean, my wife thinks I'm crazy because like, I, I, I both love and hate to receive feedback. Right. Like I hate it because like, I want to be perfect. We all want to be perfect. Right. Like life would be a hell of a lot easier if we were all perfect. Right. But, yeah. but we're humans. Uh, right. And yeah, so but, it's not possible. So yeah. It turns out that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> yep. Um, and so for me, like feedback truly has become a gift where it's like, dude, this isn't going to be easy to hear, but here's the bottom line of what I saw in that meeting, or here's what I saw when you led this project. And if there's gaps and opportunities for me, like, yeah, I mean, it stings my feelings. Like there's no doubt about it. And I mean, if, if you're out there 24 and you just heard something bad from your boss, like I tell you two things, like you should be glad it hurts your feelings because that means you care. And you should also probably recognize like if he didn't tell you you're fired, you're not getting fired. Right. So don't, res- I think that's a big gap. A lot of people think, Oh, I just got negative feedback. My, you know, my, I, I, my career's at risk. Oh my gosh, I'm screwed. No. Like if somebody's giving you feedback, like nine out of 10 times, it's because they see more in you, they see better for you and they just want you to clean up that thing, right? Whatever they're giving you feedback around. And yeah, there's people out there that can deliver feedback in a really unhelpful way, but you know, assume positive intent, assume that the person's trying to help you get better and take the feedback. Like even if they are kind of a jerk and even if they aren't somebody that cares about you and they're delivering it in a really ugly way, there's probably even still five, 10% of truth in there. Find that truth and continue to get better. Like that's, that's my viewpoint on feedback because I think if we can all do that, like we end up being, it, it just helps us and it helps the teams that we work on. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And, and I think it's, it is, it is hard for, you know, most people to really take um, feedback objectively without taking it personally or, or feeling like you failed and, and that's, that's ruined some things, but it, you flip it around, you change your mindset and you learn a lot more from failures than you do from success anyway, whether it's professionally or personally. So that's always something to remember. And to your point, you know, if your if your manager is giving you constructive feedback, you, you're probably not getting fired. They do want you and, and they want you to do better and improve. And they're more than likely willing to work with you um, to put something together to help you get better. That's exactly right. I think that's a great tip you just said. Like, if you get feedback and you don't know what to do with it, ask the person giving it to you, hey, yeah. think 
you for recognizing it. Like, how do I get better at that? And yeah. whether it's a, a more senior person, whether it's a peer or if it's your boss, like you said, most of those people, if they care enough to give you the feedback, they, even if they don't know how to fix it, they're like, you know what? I know a guy who's really good at that. Or this woman I've worked with for 20 years is an expert. Let me, let me connect you to Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, that becomes a, a really, it, it goes from being kind of a scary moment to receiving a gift, right? Where now you have a new relationship, you have someone else in your life you can learn from, and who's probably going to teach you in a very kind of loving environment, like not a non-critical one where, where you're not directly working likely with this person, you're just learning and growing from them. And that's a really cool thing to be in. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Very cool. Well, um, you, I, so you, you come back to Atlanta, you're doing something different again. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how that change happens. Yeah, so we've been in Portland for about four years. Um, Portland just kind of, uh, you know, because it's Portland had become sort of a, a test bed for a lot of uh, mobility things and mobility. There's lots of different kinds of mobility. There's, you know, vans for people that, you know, are in wheelchairs or other accessibility things. There's mobility like mobile phones. And then there's mobility that I work in, which is like the future of transportation. So electric cars, autonomous cars, uh, drones, all, you know, what, what is the future of transportation look like? And that's kind of broadly wrapped up in mobility. And a lot of that kind of was happening in Portland um, just when I was there. And so because we had an auction that was close to, you know, 15 minutes from downtown and because there was a general manager there, me, who was crazy enough to try crazy things, like <laughs> we sort of, you know, found ourselves with a bunch of these guys like trying stuff. Yeah. It was fun and it was stuff that the other auctions weren't necessarily doing, but they, I mean, they weren't in Portland. So why would they, right? Like we only have one auction in Portland and it was, you know, I just happened to work there at the time. And so anyways, out of all that, um, we, uh, you know, we took and we're playing with all this stuff and then simultaneously completely disconnected from what we were doing broadly corporate was looking at how, how are we going to approach mobility? How are we going to look at mobility? And they ended up deciding for the first time since we created a, an entire new division called autotrader.com, they were going to make a new mobility division. And, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be one of the founding people of that and, and working for somebody that, you know, you and I have both known for a very long time and is just this amazing leader. And so I think, you know, for me, I took the job, uh, they, I talked to my now boss and he said, Hey, are you in? I had no idea what the job was. I had no idea what was going to get paid. I had no idea anything, but I know that he was going to be my boss. And I knew that my other very close friend who is close to my boss had said that this job's perfect for you. And so based on that alone, like, I was like, yeah, I'm hundred percent in. I went home that night. I told my wife, I was like, Hey, I got a new job. She said, what is it? I said, I don't know. Said, <laughs> I said, I don't know. Said, what are you going to get paid? I said, I don't know. Said, sure <laughs> this you is your, this is your second sweats and flip-flops moment in your right. life, right? Well, like, so how are you sure you got a new job? I was like, I'm, <laughs> I know they're good for it. And, and, you know, I flew to Atlanta a few weeks later, maybe two weeks later. And uh, my boss is like, so what do you need from me? I was like, well, Natalie still doesn't believe I have a new job. So if you could actually give me an offer letter, like it would make that a hell of a lot easier. Like, God. And so he like printed me off an offer letter. Like I that. trust you, but she doesn't trust me. So yeah, I need something. Like, I trust you, but she doesn't know you. Right. <laughs> so, like, uh, so anyways, like he got the offer letter, you know, like it was all good. Like, I mean, obviously she knew it was sure. legit. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's a little less adventurous than I am just by her personality. And so, um, you know, we moved, um, we were, we were sort of ready to move. We'd been in Portland four years and, uh, it was a lovely season, but I was sort of getting the itch, right? Or had maybe even had the itch for a little while. So um, we were, you know, our situation in life, we were ready to move pretty quickly. And so we did, we, we moved back to Atlanta and that was almost two years ago. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun. And I mean, here we are, you know, we're, we're looking at the, the future of mobility and, and how our, our 75 year old automotive business and our 120 year old parent company, what does you know, the future, how do we use that legacy and all the things that we're good at and all the things we've done a long time ago, more recently, and can kind of the ethos of who we are, how do we put all that together and, and continue to serve 
both retail customers um, serve all of the relevant players in the car business, whether that's dealers or OEMs or, you know, new form people, um, whatever they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. How do we do all of that stuff and, and continue to serve in a really healthy and transparent way, which is sort of this, this weird and cool niche that we've carved out in the car business. And, and so it's been a lot of fun, you know, I mean, it's hard, right? Like, um, I yeah. Think- but what do you like most about it? I think, you know, I, I mean, one, like as silly as it sounds, I love who I work for, right? Like yeah. I've worked here for almost 20 years. I've had a lot of bosses. Almost all of them have been amazing people and that continues to this day. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for how my boss invests in me. I'm thankful for how he pushes me to be better. And, and so first and foremost, like, I mean, there's a very old saying, like people don't quit a job, they quit a boss. Right. But mm-hmm. I, you I love my boss. So, I mean, I love that. I love the fact that I'm getting to build something new. Um, it's super fun, but I would also say that's really hard, right? Like when, when you work in one of our main lines of businesses, that's been around for 10, 20, 40, 50 years, 60 years, some of our businesses have been around that long. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's pretty easy in the sense that it's wash, rinse, repeat. And yes, you need to find process. Yes. You need to find better, faster, more efficient ways of doing things but you know what success looks like, right? When you're starting something new, defining success is a lot harder. And so I think um, having the confidence to, in yourself even, right? Like, can I do this? I mean, it's, I think that's one thing leaders don't talk about enough is that they doubt themselves quite a bit. And I've read some really great articles by senior leaders of big companies about their own self-doubt. And it's almost like a a revealing article all the time, like, you know, so-and-so reveals their own self-doubt when they launch this product. But I think the reality is every one of us doubts ourselves. Every one of us has these moments of like, am I up to this? Like, oh shoot, this is a really hard marriage challenge I'm in the middle of. This is a hard parenting challenge. This is a hard career challenge. This is a hard personal challenge, right? Like any of these things, but we all do it, right? And I think just being vulnerable about it, like, you know, so it is hard to, to start something new for a lot of reasons, but it's also like the most fun part, right? So it's, yeah. and that's, again, a paradox, like it can be both super awesome and super hard at the same time. And and so I enjoy that part of it. Um, I enjoy the fact that we are back in Atlanta, right? Like I love Atlanta. I, you know, like I said, when we moved here the first time, we knew that this would likely be our final resting spot. And even though we kind of went on a walk about to North Carolina and then Oregon, we knew we'd come back. And so being back in, in a place that kind of we, we knew would feel like home has been great. Right. And yeah. um, settling in with our kids, settling in with friend, old friends and new friends, like it's, it's been a blessing. Right. And so we're really thankful for that. That's awesome, man. That's great. Well, question I ask everybody before we uh, end this is what advice would you give to a younger you? And this could be while you're still in high school or in college or when you started your first job or anything else that, um, you know, not necessarily you regret or change anything, but just something that you learned later that you maybe didn't know or thought differently about when you were younger. Uh, say that. Oh, hold on. Say that one more time. It's, it's totally, care. totally up to you uh, yeah. how you want to answer this, but what advice would you give to a younger you? I mean, I, I think the first thing is you definitely don't know what you think you know, right? Um, I think the second thing is learning to be patient, right? I think um, the third thing is you don't like this, this is sort of a paradoxical statement, but you need to both be your best cheerleader, but also need to know when to stop being your best cheerleader, right? Like, um, you've got to be your own champion, but at some point everybody's going to realize like, okay, great. You champion yourself now. Shut up. Right. Um, so I think there's that. Uh, and you know, I think the other thing is just truly recognizing the actual value of diversity, right? Like I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I have lived. Yeah. I mean, we certainly didn't have it easy at, growing up and I mean, you know, whatever, like there were certainly challenges in my family, but for all the, for all those challenges, they are minuscule to what so many people in this country live with and, Mm -hmm. and realizing not only how different my reality is, but also um, 
the value of the diversity that we have because of how we've all come up and because of our good and bad life experiences, mm-hmm. um, man, that is a blessing. And so like real, the sooner that any of us can realize, like I'm, I'm feeling weird things from that person, but instead of being offended, instead of being defensive, instead of any of that, I'm actually going to be, I'm going to step into it and I'm going to try to learn yeah. I mean, that, that is a, a foundational shift. And I think it's hard when you're young because you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to prove that you know what the hell you're talking about. You're trying to prove that you're worth that. You know, I want to move up from the kid's table. I want to be at the grown up table. And I've done all that. Like I lived that, like I, you know, even when I was general manager, most of the managers that worked for me or a decent amount of them, we're older than me. Right. So like I felt that like proving sensation that like I need to prove myself. Yeah. But the reality is like, just show up and be you. Right. Like I think for the longest time I, I wasn't confident enough in this, who I am, like just, just me, like not, not trying to put any extra shine on it. And I think where we where a lot of us fall down or, or kind of, either annoy people or turn people off or frustrate people, you know, create some kind of less than positive um, interaction with people is when we're trying to be something that's not authentic to ourselves. And I think for me, the biggest blessing of going out to both, you know, Statesville and Oregon is just the affirmation that like my value to this organization, my value to any organization is me. Right. And like my gifts and talents and, 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 and that's it. Right. Like, and I don't need to try to add or delete from those, like just show up and be the best version of me. And, you know, I think a lot of people see the best version of me or you, Paul or Jane or, you know, Jessica or whomever. And they're like, well, I need to be more like Jessica. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't be like Jessica. Don't be like Paul. Don't be like Alex. Be you, be your full you. And, And I think that's the big trap when we see authentic people, it's like, I need to, I need to do what they're doing. It's like, no, 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 you need, the only thing you should try to mimic is the, the authenticity, the authenticity of living into their full self. Like, and that, that it, it would be awesome if we could all do that when we were 24. I mean, we'd probably have less wars, less debt, less problems. <laughs> like, the world would just be a better place. But like, yeah, again, that's not reality. Right. But, um, but I think the sooner that like, we start thinking about it in our head, then we process it and over, you know, months and then years and blah, blah, blah. We eventually realize like, man, the only person I can be is me and and it's going to have to be good enough. And you're either going to like it or not, but I'm going to be okay with that. And like, I, I, you know, I, and so that is the biggest single piece of advice I would have is like, you know, be proud of who you are. Um, you don't need to rub it in anybody's face because you're you're who you are because that's who you're supposed to be, and they're who they are because that's who they're supposed to be. Yeah. And and I think as you as an as an individual becomes more um, comfortable in their own skin, I think we learn a few things. And the the biggest one is how much we don't know. And and it, and for me personally, the other huge value has been how valuable each of us are. Right. And that's because like I've I've seen the value that I give to other people because of who I am, but I've also received the value of who they are because I recognize there's so many things that I'm not. And that's beautiful. Right. And yeah. Um, well put, man. That's great. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, as you have, you know, grade school kids moving in, you've got kids, I have kids, you know, you see that, that middle school mindset where no one likes to be different. They all want to sort of blend in and have this homogenous group, regardless of what school you go to, there's some of that. And as you get older, especially in college, tend to, you know, embrace a little more individuality, but sometimes you get into this, you know, as the phrase is, you compare your inner truth to someone's social mask, and that can always be uh, a never ending battle. And so to sort of just recognize who you are and, embrace your strengths and go after those and not try to be somebody else. You can be, you can certainly be, um, you know, influenced or inspired by certain people and certain strengths or gifts, but ultimately you need to sort of be who you are and recognize that you're put here for a certain reason and no one else can be you better than you. So just embrace it and, and move on. So well, well advice, man. 
Thanks, bro. This has been fun. I, you know, I hope, uh, look, I mean, anybody listening, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn and, you know, reach out if I can, if I can ever help, I'd, I'd love to. And, uh, Paul, thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Um, I always enjoy kind of giving back, especially life lessons that we've picked up over the years and a way to sort of, you know, pay it forward to some of the younger generations. So thanks, Alex. It was great catching up with you. Thanks for your time today. And, uh, and we may have to do this again soon. Look forward to it. Take care. All right, man. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.